Thanks for tuning in to MANA, a short daily meditation to feed hungry souls with God's Word. These episodes were prepared by ordained ministers for a radio broadcast called Voice of the Church and are now republished by the Reformed Perspective Foundation, a Canadian charity that applies biblical truth to the issues of our time. Here's today's serving. Hello and welcome to Voice of the Church. I'm Pastor Ryan Swale. We've been looking the last couple weeks at the Song of Songs or Song of Solomon. Last time we saw the king propose marriage to the bride-to-be. After that, in uh, chapter 3, there is a period of separation before his return in chapter 3, verses uh, 6 to 11, on the day of his wedding, which uh, verse 11 of chapter 3 calls the day of the gladness of his heart. Uh, Leading into chapter 4, where the king adores the bride's beauty on the the night of their wedding. And at the end of the chapter, uh, 4.16 into 5 verse 1, the marriage is consummated. I'll read chapter 4. The day the king's heart was glad. He says, Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes that have come up from the washing, all of which bear twins, and not one of them has lost its young. Your lips are like a scarlet thread, and your mouth is lovely. Your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate behind your veil. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built in rows of stone. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle, that graze among the lilies. Until the day breathes and the shadows flee, I will go to the mountain of myrrh and the hill of frankincense. You are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Depart from the peak of Amana from the peak of Sinir and Hermon, from the the dens of lions, from the mountains of leopards. You have captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. You have captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. How beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love than wine and the fragrance of your oils than any spice. Your lips drip nectar, my bride, honey and milk are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. A garden locked is my sister, my bride, a spring locked, a fountain sealed. Your shoots are an orchard of pomegranates with all choicest fruits, henna with nard, nard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon with all trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes with all choice spices, a garden fountain a well of living water and flowing streams from Lebanon. And then she says, Awake, O north wind, and come, O south wind. Blow upon my garden. Let its spices flow. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat its choicest fruits. To which he replies, I came to my garden, my sister, my bride. I gathered my myrrh with my spice. I ate my honeycomb with my honey. I drank my wine with my milk. And then an anonymous speaker says, Eat, friends, 
and be drunk with love. Certainly one of the more uh, PG-13 chapters in the Bible, and yet a beautiful one. After arriving for his bride, the king adores her and accepts her invitation to come into her garden. So I want to make a few observations about the king's adoration of his bride on the night of their wedding. First of all, that it's his bride he's adoring. This is the only place in the book where he actually calls her his bride. Up until this point, she's been called his beloved, now his bride. In fact, he says it six times in this passage. And it's not without significance that this is the only place this word is used in the whole book on the night of their wedding. Making the point for us that the sensual experience described in it is inseparably connected to marriage. It creates the covenantal context where it is right and good for the locked garden of verse 12 to be unlocked. And for the sealed fountain to be unsealed. Marriage is the only place this may be enjoyed. Because sex is given by God as an expression of covenant vows that have been made. What we read of in Song of Songs 4 belongs exclusively in the context of covenant vows. My bride. And notice also that four of those references to her as bride also call her sister. Not to be read literally, as if the Bible is here commending the incest that it elsewhere forbids, but what Solomon is doing is using a term of endearment that elsewhere suggests purity to say something about the kind of sensual enjoyment that takes place in marriage. That marital love always sees one's bride as sister who shares a common humanity and common place in the family of God. That just as you would recoil at the thought of objectifying your sister, so you should at the thought of doing so to your wife. It forces husbands to examine their motives. Do I love my wife with a disinterested tenderness, treating her with dignity? Genuine marital love always sees one's bride as sister. And that filial connection by which she is not objectified but dignified leads to a careful and delicate description of her beauty. This is uh, perhaps uh, the the most erotic section of the book, rivaled only by chapter 7, and yet it does not degrade her by speaking of her body in crass terms. Very different from how the world speaks of the female body. And instructive for how husbands speak about and to their wives. Not with the language of our pornified culture, but in a way that honors her. Which is what he does throughout this whole section, saying, Behold, you are fair, my love, behold, you are fair. He starts with her eyes, then he he moves to her hair and her teeth and her lips, comparing them to doves and goats and, and sheep which may sound a little bit odd to our modern ears, but this description is not meant to be literal, as if he's supplying a description for a sketch artist, but but this description is a transference of value, where the imagery that is being evoked speaks of what she means to him. 
and does so in a way that is biblically and theologically profound. I won't say too much about it, but all of this imagery that he brings up is temple and promised land imagery. The the Garden of Eden, the promised land, and the temple are evoked in the comparisons that he gives, communicating not only what she means to him, but also that their union together symbolizes God dwelling with his people. That's why she invites him into her garden. Remember, the Garden of Eden is the place where God dwelt with his people, a a sort of uh, prefigurement of the temple. And when she invites him into her garden in chapter 4, verse 16, and chapter 5, verse 1, it's interesting to note that that is the literary center of the whole book. There are 111 lines on each side of it, suggesting that we have come here to the heart of, of the book. We have come here to the the Holy of Holies, where the desires that have been building ever since chapter one are fulfilled. He comes into his garden and the anonymous speaker says, be drunk with love. And since the curtain is closed at this point with no one else present, many commentators suggest that the speaker is actually God himself adding his divine blessing to the marriage, even as he did at the first garden wedding in Genesis 2. The Lord is the unseen guest when the curtain is closed, and he approves. Meaning what's described here is not something dirty, but good, given by God as a gift to teach us about the great love that he has for us in his Son. That just as we are to be intoxicated with the wine of marital love, the gospel invites us to a holy intoxication on the wine of Christ's love, of which we get a foretaste at the Lord's table. And we'll enjoy in full at the wedding supper of the Lamb with his Father's blessing and approval, even as we see in 5 verse 1. I love this line From Jonathan Edwards, I'll I'll close with it. He says of this glorious bridegroom and bride, Christ will sweetly invite his spouse to enter in with him to the palace of his glory. And he will take her by the hand to present themselves before the Father, receiving his blessing and henceforth rejoicing together in consummate, uninterrupted, immutable, everlasting glory in the love and embrace of each other and the enjoyment of the Father's love. That's what we get a little glimpse of in 5 verse 1, the Father's blessing on the union and communion of the greater than Solomon and his flawless bride in whom he delights. God's delight in the union of Christ and his bride, that's what the marriage bed points to. And that's why it must be undefiled. Because pornography, lust, sexual sin, sexual abuse, premarital sex, all of these things distort that picture. Trampling on that which is holy. Maybe you're listening today and you realize that you have done just that. You have trampled the sacred by your misuse of this gift. And and like the bride, you are not naturally Pure, you are dark from sin, as she says in 1 verse 6, defiled from the ways that you have trampled the sacred. The bridegroom of heaven has come to make you holy, 
to wash away your sin by the blood of his cross, that he might say of you, as he does of her in 4 verse 7, there is no flaw in you, but you are altogether beautiful. Confess Christ in faith and repentance, and that will be true of you today. Your sins washed away by the blood of the cross, and he will delight in you. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.